Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I am ready for 2018. Are you Are you ready for it? I'm never quite ready. I'll get there. I'll be ready for it in like August. <laughs> I love it. I hope everyone listening had a wonderful, relaxing, chill holiday break. And I'm thrilled to be back in y'all's earbuds because we got a lot to do in 2018. Some people are calling this the year of the woman, by the way. Have you seen that? I have seen that. Yeah. I think this will be the year of the not white man. <laughs> I like it. So it's like a good year for getting clear on what you want to do with this clean slate that is the brand new year. I guess when this comes out, it'll be, what, January 3rd? Mm-hmm. So pretty so early three, into the new year. Three days in is a good time to get together and get, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> However, as we start the conversation today around New Year's resolutions, I want to first acknowledge that New Year's resolutions have become very uncool, haven't they, Bridget? They have, and I actually have to admit that I... Don't really, I'm not really down with New Year's resolutions. Not I think other people should do them. And if it makes other people feel in control of their, of where their year is going, more power to them. They're not for me. Okay. Other than the fact that you're the ultimate cool girl, <laughs> Bridget, <laughs> why, 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 why are New Year's resolutions so passe? For a lot of reasons. One, for me, I think that I never, st- I never stick with them. There was one night my resolution was not to burn my tongue on any hot foods, and I was at a New Year's Eve party, and before that party was over, I had burned my tongue. Oh, well, technically, that means the. P- oh wait, no, it was after midnight. Yes. Oh my so god. So I started my New Year with a burnt tongue. <laughs> so I was like, dang, I really, I can't get, I can't do them. Um, I, I try to stick with something that's really, really small and tangible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm gonna read a book this year or something, something really <laughs> dumb and small. Uh. I think that we should be thinking about getting our stuff together all year round. Yeah. And I think that New Year's puts a weird pressure on it that for me, as soon as it's a defined thing, I'm less likely to do it. You are such a rebel. I don't, I just, you as really soon as are. it's defined, I love it. It's not going to happen. Rebel without a cause over here. I think bust out the biker jacket, Bridget. <laughs> I have one. I know you do. Um, well, actually, to be fair, you're in very, very good company. There's a lot of different pseudo science thrown around around this time of year about how like 80% of people who set New Year's resolutions don't follow through or there's another number of 8% people actually make it happen. So I totally get it. I I think it's it's so funny because as a writer, I've pitched pieces on New Year's resolutions to major publications and everyone comes back and says, no, we want an anti New Year's resolutions piece, not a pro New Year's resolutions piece. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't write that piece for you because I'm so into resolutions. And this, of course, makes me nerdy and uncool. However, I think we're all used to hearing that from me (laughs) at this point because I really think Especially in light of everything we talked about in the role overload series, all the ways in which uh, women in particular can struggle with uh, the many different hats we are expected to wear, the New Year's resolutions to me is a proclamation of ownership over your own destiny. Now, do we all own everything about our destiny? No, but I think it's almost a radical act to sit down and give yourself the time and give yourself the effort and focus to say, what would I want to do with my year if I could do anything? 
see, I actually am down with that framing. It's more positive and less sort of punitive. If you don't stick with this thing you said you were going to do on January 1st and you failed in your year, I think sitting down and, and having a little bit of intentionality baked into your life about where you want to, like where you want to see yourself and let yourself fantasize about what your life could look like, you know, what you want, where you want to be in the next year. I think that's okay. I just, the, the thing that immediately gets me going is the idea that if you don't do X this year, mm. then you, then your year is a wash and you haven't lived up to your potential for 2018. Yeah. That's interesting because it, it really is a framing. It's a perspective. Definitely. And it's up to you, I think, to, to define your own perspective. But I was watching cable TV, which is not something I do too much of, but uh, yesterday while I was doing little to no work at all, <laughs> and all the Weight Watchers commercials are on full blast right now. Like, all the join a gym, lose 10 pounds, all those sort of services and products that people want to hawk at you right now because they know that we are all making the same 10 resolutions. Definitely. I guess how that could be and annoying. I, and I am always someone who kind of rolls my eyes whenever things that start out seeming very like well-intentioned become sort of hyper-steeped. And we know you're thinking about getting your life together. Here's a million commercials about why you should be going to the gym or joining Weight Watchers. It almost feels like it's exploiting a positive internal thing that people are feeling to like make them sign up for a gym membership or something. Um, and so I think I whenever, when I see the commercials like on a loop, as you've just described, I'm like this again. Um, it also just makes me feel bad because I know I'm the person who should be probably... <laughs> doing it and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then there's me on the other side of the spectrum who is quite literally hawking things at people right now who want to be overachiever, list-making, efficiency junkies like myself. So I take no offense at the at the very valid point you just made, but I also am laughing over here because I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing because... I like the proactivity of getting my stuff together at the top of the new year. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah. I think that you are in good company because so many people are, are buying organizational tools and getting their house cleaned and all of that, like to start the new year off fresh. I think right. that's a very, very right. positive thing. So I don't want to be, I don't want to say that that is a, <laughs> a bad impulse at all. I just, I think around this time of year, you see so much about it. Yeah. It, fe- it feels a little bit weird for me. I also, something that one of my biggest pet peeves, speaking of people who are going to the gym and Weight Watchers, I hate how people who go to the gym regularly, the way that you're supposed to, sometimes shame people who are sort of doing it for the New Year's resolution, right? Like, they're like, oh, the gym is going to be full of people who are just there because it's New Year's. I hate that. I think we shouldn't... So I'm very mindful of not shaming people who are taking the New Year's plunge and getting organized, getting a planner, getting their house cleaned, you know, <laughs> whatever the thing is they're doing. I don't want to shame them. Right. And so that's it's such an interesting point how New Year's resolutions have become a very judgmental thing that people have very strong opinions on. So I just want to name that as we start this episode. I think it's clear kind of where we stand on New Year's resolutions. And that's going to make this conversation even more rich, I think. I hope so. I like it. I mean, I'm excited. I'm going to resolve for the new year that it's going to be a rich conversation. Oh, I like that. Wait, so what are, if you did have to name a single or any real resolution for your 2018, Bridget, what would it be? My 2018 resolutions. I mean, they're so dumb. Uh, one is to drink more water. Uh, it's kind of an easy. That's a great one. They're always super easy. So it's like, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Um, another, <laughs> this one is more serious. It's 
I'm notoriously bad at email. Like, if you text me, fine. If you G-chat me, fine. Something about an email, I'm like, oh, I'll deal with this later. And then I forget. And then it's almost feels like it's too, it's gone too long to respond. And it's like, now it's almost rude if I do reply. So my, in 2018, I want to reply to emails in a timely manner. Yes. I just unsubscribed myself from no less than 75 newsletters for that very reason. Mm, that's a good idea. Maybe that's a, that could be another one. I'm going to throw that in the mix. Unsubscribe <laughs> to listservs and newsletters do that don't bring me joy. Or that I don't read. I, f- I just feel guilty for having them in my inbox and never reading them. So I'd rather unsubscribe than not have them at all. That's a good resolution. I just switched to inbox from Google too, which is a different email service. Oh. But we'll have to talk more about that. Yeah. Cause it's definitely on my list. So. Would you like to hear a resolution I have? Let's hear it. <laughs> so this is like an overarching theme, but I want to make 2018 my year of fun. I literally worked too much last year for my own liking. So I'm trying to prioritize fun all year long. We'll see how long I last. This is very, <laughs> this is very Emily to pencil in and like calendar out some fun. I bet you have a spreadsheet that says, uh, I already have January. a doc. <laughs> There's already a working doc There's of a doc. A fun. You're fun. Being planned. And honestly, it's like every single month for the year at a minimum, but I think this is a good way to look at it from a bird's eye view. I have like something extraordinarily fun I'm looking forward to. What is, do you want to share what it is for this, for I this month? I want to share what it is for this quarter. Yeah. I am going to Colombia. Ooh. My mother's country of origin. Nice. With my mom. We're flying out on her 60th birthday. That sounds so fun. For a week long uh, trip to Bogota and then we're backpacking near Santa Marta and we're going to go visit some family that I've never met before. I've never been to Colombia before and it's going to be this like mother-daughter bonding trip and I'm so excited. That sounds really fun. It's really fun and it's been, I've been trying to make that happen for like 10 years. So you're fun. It's happening. I like it. All right. I think we should take a quick break and when we come back, I want to really dive into the first and most important reason behind why I think New Year's resolutions are, in fact, a good opportunity to be intentional, as you said, Bridget, about your new year. We'll be right back after this quick break. And we're back. And we are talking through New Year's resolutions and especially thinking back to the Roll Overload series we did towards the end of last year, I want to acknowledge that if you are resonating with those episodes and you are feeling like, hell yeah, I am a working daughter or a working mother uh, or just a single lady who wants to think critically about the goals I'm pursuing, the roles I am playing, the hats I'm wearing, this is actually a really good time to make the new year a fresh start. In fact, a bunch of interesting research around behavioral psychology and how temporal landmarks like the first of the year or the first day of the week or the first day of the month or the first day of a new season have been shown to be really salient in terms of sustaining motivation when pursuing new goals. Catherine Milkman and her co-authors have produced research showing that the fresh start effect is very real. As it turns out, we are much more likely to have high motivation and more likely to actually sustain that motivation when we capitalize on temporal landmarks, on the start of something new. It's basically like you're riding a wave of motivation, which is more likely to be peaked at the start of a new, even psychological landmark. 
What I love about that part of the research is that it doesn't have to necessarily be tied to the first of the year. It can be a Monday or your birthday or the first of the month. And I think thinking about your goals in ways that are tied to some temporal thing makes sense. And I like the idea that it doesn't just have to be January 1st, here's what I'm doing for the year. It can be anything that feels like a significant temporal landmark in your life. Exactly. It could be a birthday. Totally agree. I think baking into this idea that it can be repeatable, that it can fit any kind of different life, whether or not that you're someone that first of the year is a big deal for you, I think is better than having it be first of the year, this is your one time to make a new plan, and if you don't do it, then you suck. Right. Well, what's interesting is that these temporal landmarks are tend to be days that stand out to you. So they just have to be meaningful to you to generate that fresh start feeling, kind of like that blank slate feeling that really does come up for a lot of us at the start of the new year. But I also like to think of this as something that happens every month, the fresh start that is the top of the month. I am way more productive and think more strategically about what I want to get done in a new month at the top of the month as opposed to the middle or the end of a month. Same thing with the start of a new week. I'm a Monday person. I like Mondays. I know that makes me a weirdo, but I like the fresh start feeling of hitting the ground running at the top of a new week. And what's interesting is researchers think, they postulate that these temporal landmarks tend to be effective because they make us feel more distant from our past failures. Oh, that's so deep. I know. It's kind of like, it's almost like you can presume that I can be someone new. Hmm. That's a really positive, aspirational way of framing it, I think. Exactly. Milkman herself writes, the fresh start effect hinges on the idea that we don't feel as perfect about our past as we'd like. We're always striving to be better. And when we can wipe out all those failures and look at a clean slate, it makes us feel more capable and drives us forward. That's like all those uh, hashtag new year, new me posts you see on Instagram. <laughs> okay, to be clear, I'm not that bad. I have not hashtagged that just yet, but don't give me any ideas. The baseline here is if you feel like the new year is an opportunity for you to psychologically leave your past failures behind, capitalize on it. And that's why I like to seize that opportunity. Because if you think about it, it only comes around once a year. Although I like to do this kind of a thing on my birthday, too. I always think about, like, lessons learned on my birthday from the past year, more so than goals for the for the next year. I like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I started this tradition about three years ago. Brad the Boo and I do an annual, like, collective New Year's resolutions list. Which is way different. Like for like for the couple? Yeah. Are you comfortable sharing one of your collective resolutions? Sure. Um, so we just did this and it's hanging up at home in the in the kitchen cabinet that you have to open to get to the coffee. <laughs> well, Year of Fun was on there because that's kind of a collective one. Make good use of our companion pass. So this is not a Southwest ad, but I am a Southwest super user. And last year I traveled 120,000 miles and earned a companion pass. Oh. Which means Brad flies for free anywhere that I fly anytime we want. So we want to look back on 2018 and say we made very good use of that companion pass. That's a very good goal. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's flexible. You know, it's not like a smart goal strategic, measurable, actionable, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it's a it's a resolution. It's I like, like that. I like the idea of shared goals for people that have, you know, shared lives. Yeah. I think for anybody who has shared lives, even if it's a house goal with a bunch of roommates or a family goal, I find that that collective articulation is more powerful than writing this high stakes list down for myself and looking at it and it feeling really daunting and scary. 
The bottom line is capitalize on the fresh start effect if it works for you. If New Year's didn't feel like a fresh start for you, start on Monday. <laughs> or use the next top of the month that you have. Or if you work the kind of job that has a season. I have a friend who's a wedding planner, and so for her, the beginning of wedding season, I forget when she marks it. I want to say it's May. But for her, that marks sort of the beginning of her professional year. For a lot of folks in politics, election days and things like that are good temporal markers. And so I think it's important to remember for your own life, for your own industry, for whatever you're doing and wherever you're at, th- these temporal markers could be their own thing that the rest of us don't even have. Exactly. And you have to really make them if they don't exist naturally in your life. So my mom works shift work and she'll do 12 hours at a time, three or four days a week. And there isn't this regularity to her schedule per se. So sometimes you have to build that structure in if you want to feel like you can capitalize on it, you know, if, if, if it's not naturally a part of your rhythm. Now, how you capitalize on the fresh start effect is also super important. I have a very controversial feeling about vision boards. I'm wondering what yours might be, Bridget. I don't know if you're a vision board person. Could you see me doing a vision board? (laughs) No, no shade on them. I just, it's just. I have plenty of shade for vision boards. (laughs) So here, here's what my shade is. It's not that, you know, cutting and pasting or anything is like essentially basic about it. My beef with vision boards is that it's not good according to the research. It is actually counterproductive to overinvest in your clarifying of your destination. The more times you pin your dream house on a Pinterest board, instead of focusing on the plan, how you're going to get there, the journey over the destination, the less mental faculties are left over for you to focus on the hard part, which is the how. So I get it. If you're not quite sure what your vision is, if you're not quite sure what you're aiming for, you definitely want to spend some time there. But if you have a pretty solid idea of where you want to be heading this year, don't overly focus on the destination. Instead, get busy planning for the journey to get there. What's fascinating is that some research has actually shown that an overemphasis of focusing on the goals alone without focusing on the action plan can make you feel, it sort of tricks your brain into feeling like you've already achieved them or like you've already made significant progress. Spoiler alert, your vision board didn't actually make any progress in you achieving that vision. I'm so sorry to, to break the news and I'm going to get hate for this and I'm ready for it, y'all. But I, ha- I have a real strong dislike of vision boards because they can actually take up precious time and, and effort that could be focused on the plan. Well, I saw a great quote and I, and I hate like inspirational quotes, but this one I, <laughs> I did think, oh, that, that's, I'm down with that. It said, go to sleep with dreams and wake up with plans. Uh... And I, I like that because it's good to have dreams. It's good to visualize dreams. But mm. if, if you're not planning for how you're going to get there, ex- exactly like you said, it can feel like you've made significant investments in a plan when in fact you've just thought about it and it sounds really nice and it seems really cool. And like, you know, that house that you want looks great on Pinterest and this and that, but you haven't actually done the steps to get you closer to having a plan for how you're going to achieve it. Exactly. And it can make you feel like you've already done something which might demotivate you from actually working on the journey. There was some research done where they took a group of students who had a test that they were studying for. I think the test was like a couple weeks away. They asked one subset, one third of the students, to close their eyes and visualize themselves acing the test. They asked another group, a third of the student body, 
to close their eyes, visualize themselves acing the test, and then write like one or two sentences for how they were going to do that, therefore provoking them to really make a plan. And then the other third, they did nothing at all. No exercise, no visualization, no planning. That's the control group. Which of those three groups do you think did the best on the test? Definitely the group that wrote about their plan. Right, exactly. As one might imagine. However, the most fascinating part of this research is that the control group... Did they ace it? They they are performed the group that was told to visualize success without planning. See, that doesn't surprise me at all, mostly because it's how I live my life. <laughs> like, I'm not going to plan for this, and it kind of might go okay. Like, okay, no, that is not the conclusion to draw conclusion from is, this. don't plan for shit, y'all. <laughs> it's all a scam. That is not at all the conclusion <laughs> I'm going for. But the, the what's fascinating is that visualizing success alone without the second more important part of how you're going to make that happen can be worse than not visualizing at all. It really takes me back to my uh, political organizing days when you're asking people to make plans for how they will get to the polls. And so if you say, will you vote for XYZ candidate? And they're like, great, yes. If you say, okay, great, how are you getting to the polls? And you make them think about it, they're much more likely to actually vote if they even spend 30 seconds saying, well, I'm going to take the bus at my lunch break to go vote. Yes. If they just say, yes, I'll vote for XYZ candidate, they're less likely to actually follow through because they haven't even visualized themselves taking that action. Exactly. Because it's not always the intention that's not there. It's the plan. And lives are busy. People are busy. I think that's such a great example. And by doing that mental exercise, like you just described, it gives the voter, or really anyone with a goal, the opportunity to predict and overcome roadblocks before they arise. So if you had asked me if I was going out to vote, and I said, yes, I'm going to take the bus, it might be in that very moment that I realize, oh, wait, I've moved since the last time I voted. I actually don't know where my polling location is. It might help me think about for the first time and, and spur me to foresee that I have a challenge that I wouldn't have otherwise foreseen and could have prevented me from voting. So it's, it, it, it provides the mental opportunity for you to predict an, a roadblock and predict an obstacle. Why are you smiling at me like that? Am I geeking out? No, so that, was just a, that was just a good point. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're giving I'm me this sorry. deep over here. <laughs> like, what's happening? No, no, I was just, I was just like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I think we should talk a little bit more about different obstacles and how we can overcome them to meet our goals after a quick break. And we're back, just talking through some ways that we can power through the obstacles that are standing in the way between us and our New Year's goals. And one of them, something that I totally identify with, is even though you've got a clear goal, even though you're, you have a plan for how you're going to get there, it's still feeling sort of sluggish and unmotivated when it comes to actually putting that plan into motion. Totally. I mean, New Year's resolutions wouldn't be what they are unless they were hard, right? Like goal attainment is tricky. That's why there's such a wealth of research around them and products and services to help people make them happen. Because it's not that setting goals is hard because people love setting goals, myself included. It's sustaining your motivation that gets tricky. And our bodies naturally kind of operate on a rhythm and so does our motivation. We get very excited at the beginning of of fresh starts. And of course we get excited when we're close to the finish line, but it's the slog in between (laughs) that can be Not exactly motivating, but I found this one incredible little trick that has been really helpful to myself personally, but also fascinating when it comes to business cases. 
for it. And the idea is to give yourself a head start. This comes right out of one of my favorite books, Switch, by Chip and Dan Heath, all about how to change when change is hard, which is one of the books that I completely geek out about when it comes to behavior change and psychology and cognitive science. So in their book, they give this example of a car wash that used loyalty cards to try to create repeat customers. And again, this is a business case, but I think it can be absolutely applied to your personal goals, resolutions, and life writ large. One set of customers were given a punch card that needed 10 stamps or whatever to get a free car wash, whereas another set of customers at the same car wash was given this card with 12 stamps to get but they were already given two stamps when they were handed the card. So that second group of customers were given the sensation that they kind of had a free start. They had the sense of investment, like they'd been already given a gift of being ahead of the curve. They'd been given a head start. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. It's that feeling of when you do a to-do list, when you cross off the first thing because you've already done it, you're like, oh, I'm well on my way. Even though it's a gimme, it's a freebie. I love that. Yeah. I do that all the time. Yeah. So look, if you're making a list, number one, make list, doing it right now, (laughs) done. (laughs) Sometimes I make a to-do list just because I've done something I want to cross off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I just did the first thing of the day. I should, I should make a whole to-do list and cross that one off. Yeah. It sounds silly, but these little head starts really give us that sensation in our brain of that feeling of completion so you can move on to the next thing. I think it sets yourself up for success. Right. What's interesting is even though both of those groups have the same distance to the goal, the response was significantly higher for the group with the pre-punched head start card. So your motivation is spurred on by progress itself. It's this idea that progress begets progress. Progress is, in and of itself, a motivation booster. So the idea is to give yourself a head start wherever you can, however you can, to show your own momentum, because that momentum will help you move forward. I think specifically applying that to New Year's resolutions, you could think about the things that you've already done to get yourself on the path to making that resolution happen. And so if my resolution was to drink more water, first of all, Drinking water right now, so <laughs> well on my yes, way. Yes, you are. But I've already looked into ways to make my own seltzer at home and things like that, things that I know will help me meet that goal. And so I can say, well, I've already taken it, even though it's very cursory and like, it's not, Still. It, it's not maybe, yeah, I mean, it's, it's progress. Is, yeah, it's progress. progress. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it sort of goes back to that other mantra that you hear a lot of like, celebrating small wins. Because when you take stock of what you've done already, when you break down a big goal into tiny little steps, and then check those tiny little steps off, even if it's the first step you're making on a to-do list or if you're sipping out of your water bottle right now, check that that creates more momentum behind you. And so I think not shortchanging yourself in acknowledging the progress you've already started or what makes you already uniquely qualified to make good on those resolutions. Taking stock of that is important. Yeah, it really can help us achieve our goals. And what's funny is at the very top of the episode, we talked about how powerful perspective Mm. is. It's not like one of these punch card holders had a shorter distance than the other. It was their perspective on that distance that was changed. Well, this might be kind of a weird example, but... There's this commercial on TV for a credit monitoring service, and something that I like so much about what this commercial does is rather than targeting people who are really concerned about their credit and like have been monitoring their credit forever because they have good credit and they want to keep good credit, it's clearly targeting people who have not been doing that. And so the idea is to like make it not scary, and the person in the commercial always says, 
okay, so my credit's not great, but I'm I'm on top of it now. I'm not just hiding from it now. And that's progress. And I, I really love that commercial because, you know, it highlights the fact that sometimes just making a plan for how you're going to stay on top of this and you know, taking a look at it, sometimes that is a step and should be celebrated and that gets you on a, on the right path. Amen. I think that's such a great example because sometimes awareness is the first step in a lot of different goals and especially money goals, yeah. right? I think another way that we can get our own mindset right around resolutions so that it sets us up for success and not shame is to really think about how your inner voice can be on your team. So often... That inner voice is full of should, like, oh, I should be going to the gym the right way, like regularly, uh, and all of that other BS that gets leveled upon us as human beings and us especially as women. I think it was Tiffany Dufu in our episode around role overload working mothers who really said it's so critically important to get crystal clear on what is in your job description for being a good mother, what obligations you deem most important to feeling like you're coming through for the folks in your life, not the job descriptions that are floating out there or handed to you from predecessors or society, but really getting clear on what is important to you. And when you can do that for whatever resolutions you have and get your inner dialogue on track or on your side I think your perception of yourself while you're in the thick of goal pursuit, while you're in the slog of making good on those resolutions can have a huge impact on motivation and drive. I think that's so right. And I think it really comes down to the story that we tell ourselves in our head about who we are and what it means. And I think it was the episode around work fails where we talked about the difference between saying, I'm bad at math and I failed that math test because I'm a screw up and saying, I failed that math test because I didn't study hard enough. And if I had been more prepared, maybe I would have done better. It's a difference between making our goals not about who we are, but what we're doing and our behavior. Absolutely. I think that's Carol Dweck's research around growth mindset versus a fixed trait mindset, right? This idea that I'm a screw up or I'm just lazy or I'm just not a gym person versus here's what I've done in the past. Here's what I'd like to do differently moving forward without shame attached to it, which is easier said than done in a world that really likes to judge and shame women, especially working mothers, all the dang time. So I think it's about getting clear on what's important to you, but also acknowledging your own inner monologue can be something that helps or hinders you. I have a good example from this from my own life. Uh, something about me is that I'm notorious for putting off going to the dentist because I'm terrified of the dentist. I mean, it's it's awful. Sometimes I cry. And basically, I, I it was one of those things where I had to go, and I realized I can only go to the dentist if I make if I call and make an appointment. Some a friend, someone is like, "Did you make your appointment?" They follow up with me, and then the dentist, the receptionist, whoever is checking in with me to be like, "Okay, your appointment is on Thursday. You're gonna come. You're gonna come." Otherwise, as it gets closer and closer, I'm definitely going to flake because I don't like going. And I once told someone, gee, I, I wish I could like get a handle on this fear. It's so irrational. I hate that it takes me this entire production to go. I, I, I'm an adult. I should be able to just go. And my friend said, no, you know what you need to be able to meet this goal. It just so happens that for you to go to the dentist, you have to have a friend make sure you go and that a receptionist has to be very vocal with you to make sure that you're actually going to go. And that's okay. It's You don't have to attach shame to it. It right. is what it is. And so for me, I had internalized that I was 
this crazy, irrational person because I had to have, a, if a friend didn't ask me if I was actually going to go, I wouldn't go. And instead, just changing that story in my head and making that story be about, I know what I need to have for me to actually go to the dentist and here's what it is and here's how I'm going to get it. Right. And that is the way that I go. And that's you being a responsible adult. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really excellent reframing of what is, in fact, a very responsible set of behaviors because you know yourself. And if we can shed the shame and all the should in our inner monologue and beat ourselves up a little less, we can actually cheer ourselves on a little more. Which, again, it's easier said than done, but research shows that if you take the negative mantra, whatever it is that's running through your mind. I know my little sister, Izzy, who's now a friend of the pod and, you know, guest on the pod in the past. She used to say to me, Emily, I'm just lazy. I can't make myself do this. And I used to say, Isabel, you're not lazy. What is it that you need to do to change your behavior? Or what is it that works for you? Focusing on the bright spots and then reframing that sort of negative story that's in your head into something that frames it in a more productive, positive, and growth-oriented way. It's it's one of those things that I hope our listeners can like catch themselves doing moving forward. It's one of those things that might be very unconscious until you start paying attention to how you're talking to yourself. Because half the battle, Bridget, is making the unconscious more conscious. A lot of what we do is totally mindless. A lot of the behaviors we have, shopping decisions we make, purchases, routines right? In and of itself embodies the idea that it's routine, it's habitual. It's so hard to change what we're not consciously doing. And when you really look at what we're not conscious of doing, it's a pretty wide spectrum. There was this really interesting article published in the New York Times uh, December 1st of last year now uh, called Why Trying New Things is So hard to do that shed light on this challenge around changing habits that are so unconscious. And this was written by an economist who admits in the first line, I drink a lot of Diet Coke, two liters a day, which from a health perspective, we're not even going to touch that. Okay, no shade, no shame there. So that's almost six cans worth of Diet Coke. He says, I'm not proud of the habit, but I really like the taste of Diet Coke. And yet, as a frugal economist, he knows if he were to switch to a generic brand, that savings would add up significantly. And over the course of a lifetime, he could save a whole bunch of money, which as a frugal economist, he would be interested in doing. And yet he doesn't want to experiment even for a day, even once he's never sampled generic soda. Well, what's fascinating is that he goes into how so many of the choices that we make throughout our lives are of this kind of habitual variety. He says that 47% of human behaviors are this habitual variety where we're just, this is our habit. This is our thing that we do and we're not going to deviate from it even if we know it could save us money or time. Think about things like generic aspirin where scientists have already said if you buy the cheap Target brand, it's exactly the same thing as the, you know, whatever name brand. People still don't do it because it's this habitual thing. We get into this idea of this is what I do. This is my habit. And that's so hard to break. And it's, it's like a risk aversion. We fear, we have an outsized fear of the potential of being disappointed when you go out to eat at your favorite restaurant. I know my favorite restaurant here in DC, I always order the same thing because you don't want to go to your favorite restaurant and risk having something that's less good than your favorite thing on the menu, right? This idea, we, we overestimate the risk and we greatly underestimate the potential rewards of a little bit of personal experimentation. Even just a little bit of deviation from routine can cause you to discover a brand new dish that's even better. It's so true. Uh, when we were growing up, 
My mom always kept this one brand of lotion in the house, Lubiderm. And as I got older, I just thought, like, we are a Lubiderm family. We wear <laughs> Lubiderm lotion. This is the only lotion that that is for us. And I remember going to CVS once, and they were out. And I was like, oh, well, I guess, do I get... like The idea that I would get something else... I had just in my head was like, I wear this brand of lotion. This is the <laughs> lotion that I wear. And I don't even remember if I bought something else. I just was like, the idea of taking that plunge of buying something new, something different, just seemed so difficult to do. You're making so many marketing professionals <laughs> listening to this podcast feel very satisfied right now. Because <laughs> it's their job yeah. to make you that loyal to a brand. Yeah, and just like this economist describes in the article, and almost just kind of becomes part of the fabric of how we think of ourselves. Exactly. He goes on to say that... Quote, many so-called choices are not really choices at all. Walking down the supermarket aisle, I do not make a considered decision about soda. I don't even pause at the generics. I act without thinking. I automatically grab bottles of Diet Coke as I wheel my cart by. So when thinking about New Year's resolutions and changing behaviors that can be so hard to change because we are habitual creatures as human beings, keep in mind that the potential rewards are greater than you might think for a little bit of personal experimentation. And the potential risks are often less severe than we think they'll be. And a little bit of, you know, deviation from our routine can be extremely good for us. It's just that, you know, making that deviation stick can be a little harder. And I think that even goes back to the point that you were making about, you know, the story that we have in our head even that seems like a habitual behavior that mm-hmm. if you can just snap yourself out of it or catch yourself before you fall down that rabbit hole of I'm lazy, it means I suck, and this resolution's not going to get done, and blah, blah, blah. And like, if you can just stop yourself and pause, you can, you can get out of that. That's the first step. Just being aware and hearing that inner monologue and saying, whoa, 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 I'm going to take that phrasing. I'm going to take that story in my head and reframe it. That in and of itself is a huge achievement. And again, celebrating small wins, sometimes awareness is a first great step in the right direction. The other way to do it is something you already alluded to with your brilliant dentist strategy, which is the last piece of advice that I I feel is very stuff mom never told you. And it reminds me of our last episode of 2017 is to not go it alone. I always say this in goal pursuit when it comes to your career, especially Going it alone doesn't get you there any faster. And it's probably a lot less fun. <laughs> and not to mention the research backs up that checking in with friends or accountability buddies on New Year's resolutions and goals can boost your chances of actually achieving them by about 33%, according to some of the most conservative estimates mm. out there. Wow. There's also like 80% at, at more, uh, a little more fluffy studies that are out there, but a 33% improvement on the likelihood of achieving a goal is well worth it um, in my book. And this refers to some of the recent research done by Professor uh, Dr. Gail Matthews at Dominican University. Yeah, I found that it can be really difficult for some of us to ask for help when we need it. But I like to remember that when you ask a friend or a colleague or a peer for help, you're actually modeling that it's okay for them to do the same. And so not only should you be thinking about it for it being a good idea for you making your own goals, but you can also be thinking about it in terms that it can be helpful for others who also have their own goals. And so if you're in a community and you are someone who is is okay with asking for help and asking for a little bit of gentle accountability, you're making it safe and easier for somebody else to do the same. I think that is such a great point. We oftentimes confuse asking for help with defeat. 
I, at least I used to, as like a, a recovering perfectionist, I used to think if I can't do it alone, I'll have to admit my failure and go ask for help elsewhere. Now, when I'm making a list of things I want to get done or resolutions, one of the questions I ask myself is, who else can help me get there faster? And therefore, it makes the act of asking for help part of making progress. It's the same thing as making progress in my book. And it's also way more fun. It's way less stressful to go it alone. It's way more fun to co-create something awesome with someone you admire. Definitely. I completely agree. There's this other little wrinkle in the research that I absolutely love, which is this term called co-indulgence. You're going to like this, Bridget. (laughs) So if you are feeling like you're having, I don't know, an off day, let's say we're trying to eat healthier in the new year, just as a hypothetical here. (laughs) And let's say you and I were walking past Larry's homemade ice cream. Have I told you this story before? Because I feel like I've used this example a lot. No. I use ice cream examples a lot when I talk about co-indulgence. So if I'm walking past Larry's homemade ice cream in DuPont Circle alone, and I'm like, screw eating healthy. I am not feeling like eating healthy. I'm going to go in and get myself something delicious here. I might be more likely after that to feel a little bit of guilt a little bit like, oh, man, I did something bad. I indulged when I was supposed to be eating healthy. And I might be even more likely to say, well, the day's ruined. I guess I'll just eat garbage for the rest of the day and try again tomorrow. Have you ever experienced something like that? Oh, yeah. Like, That's like when you're when you're running <laughs> when you're running late and you're like, yeah. I may as well get a coffee because I'm already late. Exactly. Like, That's I. You know how I feel about that. That's yeah, my a little, go-to. A yeah. little bit of indulgence. Yeah. You're like, well, the day's ruined, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow. I'll just be garbage for the rest of the day. Exactly. <laughs> now, I love this little bit of research because according to uh, folks in the Journal of Consumer Research, this came from Michael Lowe and Kelly Hawes, uh, they found that with co-indulgence, instead of solely indulging, like I would if I went solo, to get that ice cream. Let's say you and I were walking past it together. And I turned to you and I said, screw it. I know we're supposed to be, you know, eating healthier for the new year, but let's just, let's dive in. Let's get some ice cream. If you and I were to indulge together, three amazing things are more likely to happen. One, our social bond will be strengthened because we just went through a little indulgence together. Two, we are more likely to experience less guilt. Mm. And three, because it's a shared indulgence. Yeah. So it's not like I'm being a bad person. It's like, ooh, we just did a bad thing. Yeah. You know? Which is inherently kind of uh, more fun. Exactly. Like a naughty, like, oh, we did something bad together. We skipped class together. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then three, you're more likely to get back on track faster. So you're much more likely if you were to indulge alone to say, screw it, the day's ruined, I'll try again tomorrow, than if we were to indulge together and we'd be like, okay... We watched an episode of Housewives in the middle of the day while we were supposed to get this outline for this episode together. Wait, I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> well, I just, I just, yeah. that, that was some, um, like, ripped from the headlines. Uh, that was ripped from the together. headlines. Together, yes, ripped from our together headlines. As opposed to, like, if we did that together and then got it, we'd be more likely to get it together after that episode. I like that, and it yeah. makes sense because... It really is like having a pace car, someone who can help keep you on track. And even if you fall behind or have an indulgence now and then, who is still there to help you get back to where you need to be because you're both in it together. Exactly. And so that's my hope for 2018 is that our amazing Stuff Mom Never Told You community and all the women that I will acknowledge, this is the this is like a very bossed up episode because this is all the research and all of the tactics and all of the 
attainment junkie stuff that I cover at Bossed Up, it's my hope that we as women, especially in 2018, can commit to communal support for one another. We can commit to whether you're using this fresh start to make new resolutions or you're going to make next week your own personal fresh start for resolutions, that we can come together, ask for help when we need it, support each other in the slog that is actually making good on these things and have a little patience with ourselves and our inner monologue so we can, you know, lift as we climb together. Totally. I love that that keeps coming back as our sort of unofficial motto for the show, but it's so true. And I think certainly the community of Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners has been personally very, very helpful in my own journey as a podcaster and just overall feminist. Um, but yeah, I think embracing that is so important. Absolutely. And I have to make a shameless plug here for one second, because for folks who do want more of this kind of research-driven goal attainment, uh, to-do list-loving junkies like me, there is a free tool that we developed at Bossed Up called the Bossed Up Life Tracker, which you can get for free right now uh, on my website. We'll link to it in the show notes. And it really encompasses all of the New Year's resolutions tactics and hacks that we covered today to help you overcome overwhelm, overcome role overload, and feel like the boss of your year and feel like you've got a community who's encouraging you each and every step of the way to have fun in a in a communal way in making this your best year yet. And now, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. What is your resolution or are you not making one? Or maybe you'll think about it and make one later. I mean, it's okay to be a little loosey-goosey if that's how this stuff gets done for you, if you're a Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, I mean, how do these kinds of goals show up in your life? Are they things that you like to embrace? Do you feel weird about them? How have they showed up? Yeah. Do you love to roll your eyes at New Year's resolutions or or have you already color-coded your own planner for the year? Because that's definitely the boat that I fall into right now. And I'm dying to hear where our listeners come in on this. So let's keep this conversation going on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, we love getting your emails at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Mm-hmm. 